You are listening to the audio preaching podcast of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Fallbrook, California, pastored by James Christensen. Though located in the heart of Southern California, you will hear powerful, relevant, and life-changing preaching from the Word of God. Pastor Christensen believes that every Christian can reach their potential for the Lord. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Every breath that I am 
of the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Thank you, Mr. Christensen. Introduction like that, you always want to sign your own Bible after that, you know, just... But uh, let me say real briefly about the Israel trip. And by the way, if you take the, the Greece extension, you will get a Bible, you'll get a semester of Bible college learning about Greece and about the Bible that's better than a semester of Bible college, literally. Hands on with Costas. He knows his stuff. He so opens up the Bible. It's just incredible. Uh, he's got kind of a strong accent, but he'll be talking to you on the bus. He'll be talking to you when you get to the sites, walking through them. Um, years ago, when we first started out, just to give you a little background, I'll take a little bit of time. My message is short, so I'll take a little bit of time, because I, I, I get excited about Israel. Twi for our 25th anniversary of the church, the church surprised us and sent my wife and I to Israel. I'd never been before, knew nothing about it, uh, went with a church from Michigan, Baptist church. But when we got there, we did all this Catholic stuff, the Stations of the Cross, and uh, we got to Mount of Olives, and our unsaved Jewish guide and our unsaved Muslim bus driver busted out a communion set and served communion. And so my wife and I just wandered off and saw the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem and all that. And uh, we, we went to Bethlehem, spent like three and a half hours in line to see the Church of the Nativity to get in there. I thought, this must be spectacular when we get in there, you know. And you get in there, and literally all it is is a star on the ground where supposedly Jesus was born here. Yeah. There's people crying over it, taking selfies with it. And I'm thinking, we stayed in line three and a half hours for this? This is nonsense. You know, what a waste of a day. I mean, it's like being in an amusement park riding for three and a half hours, and then you find out, well, you get to go from here to there, and it's over in five seconds, and there's nothing to it. It's like, why did we stand in line? And so, but we had a good time, barring all the Catholic nonsense and stuff like that. When we got back, people in the church said, hey, we've always wanted to go to Israel. And so I thought, well, let's just put a tour together then. Let's, and so I, I started calling tour agencies, and just to find out, could we do our own schedule? Because I didn't want to do all the Catholic nonsense and, and just a lot of things that were waste. And so the very first question they asked was, well, do you want to do the buy five, get one free, or buy four, get one free? I said, what do you mean buy five, get one free? Well, for every five paying customers, you can take a family member for free. I was like, no, we're not doing that. I just bring the price down for everybody. And then I got to thinking, because the church we had gone with, it cost our church about $10,000 for my wife and me to go. I thought, okay, I thought the pastor's granddaughter was on the trip. His son-in-law was on the trip. And I realized, oh, we paid for all the family members to go to Israel. That's why it cost so much. And so we found by not doing any of that, just bringing the cost down, we're able to do it cheaper than anybody. In fact, our church generally loses money on it because we, we cut it so close and then we end up with an unexpected expense at the end or something. But, but we, we, it's not for profit. We don't make any money. But 95% of the groups that are going to Israel, it's a moneymaker. They're either taking family members or they're charging, they're making money. Um, just out of curiosity, because we're doing Israel and Turkey and he's adding on the Greece extension, I got something from an organization the other day and it was 13 days, Israel, Greece, and Turkey, 13 days. So I called them. And it's like $8,200 per person. So we'll do Israel and Turkey for somewhere around $4,000, then maybe $1,000 for the extension might be just a little bit more. But you will stay in great places. You will have the experience. It's really the trip of a lifetime. Um, and when I, when I went, as soon as I went, I thought, man, every pastor needs to go. Uh, they say once you, once you go to Israel, then when you read your Bible, it's like reading it in full color. And it is. Because you say, I've been there. I've been there. I've seen that. I've been that. And you've experienced it. And then when you add on Greece, uh, years ago, the agent we worked with, he said, I kind of like Greece as much as Israel in some ways. I said, how could you like Greece as much as Israel? He says, because it's so hands-on. When you go to Israel, a lot of it's buried. 
you know, it, it, Jerusalem is like 17 layers of civilization. It's been built and demolished and built and demolished and all that. So a lot of it's buried. Um, but th there's still a lot there. In fact, when you take like the temple steps up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, um, uh, who's the first guy to walk on the moon? Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong, thank you. When he, when he went to Israel, now only 12 people have walked on the moon in the history of, the man of mankind, 12 people. When he went to Israel and he, and he came to the temple steps, he said, are these, are these the original where Peter, James, and John and Jesus? Yes, these are the actual original steps. He said, I got to tell you, walking on these steps means more to me than walking on the moon. Yeah, yeah. To be there firsthand. Yeah. And those of you that have watched missions videos or, or PowerPoint presentations, and then you've actually gone on missions trips, you know it's the difference between night and day. Right. Seeing pictures or being there. You go to Greece, for instance, you walk through the ruins of Corinth. You see where he was at the Bar of Justice. You see the ruins of the houses, the streets. You see where the meat market was. You see all of that. So it's, it's ruins, but you can see. You can see how they lived and all of that. You go up on Masada, the ruins are still there. Uh, Jerash, you see, you, see, you see the ruins of the city. You go to Capernaum, you see this, the ruins of the synagogue. Um, you take a boat on the Sea of Galilee. You take a cable car to the top of Masada. Uh, you'll ride a camel out to Abraham's land dinner, which is a great experience. It's just an authentic, uh, the guy pretends to be Abraham. He, he welcomes you to his tent. He insists he has to wash your hands, pour his water over your hands. And he's a funny guy. He talks about leaving, he talks about leaving uh, Ur of the Chaldees. And he says, I had to leave because they were idolatrous. The people were idolatrous. I had to get out of the country. He says, but someone told me, you Americans, that you guys are idolaters. <laughs> He said, I've been told you sit in your living room and you stare at a box with moving pictures for hours. You give it your devotion. Is that true? Are you idolaters? So he's funny, he, but, it, but it's, it's kind of like a good lesson. In Cana, we'll go to Cana Baptist Church. Any couples that want to renew their vows, uh, Pastor DeRosas had the privilege of renewing his in-laws' vows there at Cana. That's where Jesus performed you know, at, the, at the marriage, uh, changed the water into wine. So we try to do all of those different things. We'll go in Turkey. We'll see Ephesus. Ephesus, some of the greatest ruins in the entire world. The city's still there. You can, you can walk the seats. You see the amphitheater. Um, you'll, we'll be to Smyrna, Cappadocia. We'll fly to Cappadocia. You ride, ride hot air, air balloons there to see the city. Uh, there will be hundreds of hot air balloons in the, in, the, in the sky at one time. The, your hotel will be a cave, will be in a cave, literally. But it's a, it's a five-star hotel. They've, they've built these hotel rooms in a cave. Uh, the restaurant is in a cave. Uh, so just some really neat experience that you'll, that you'll have. We'll be at the Dead Sea. Uh, phenomenal. Uh, every, every breakfast is all-you-can-eat buffet. Every dinner is all-you-can-eat buffet. And it's like no buffets you've ever seen. When we were, I've only been to Turkey one time, but when we were in Turkey, first night there, you walk into the hotel. Someone's playing the piano. There's people bringing you trays of juices to drink. They don't even want you to handle your luggage, literally. They, they pamper you. They want to take your luggage to your room. So that night at dinner, we counted the dessert buffet alone, there was 58 different choices, 58 different desserts to choose from for, for the buffet. So it's like buffets you've never seen. And so then lunches, um, a lot of people, they've eaten so much for breakfast and dinner, they don't even want to eat lunch. But sometimes we'll stop at a little sandwich shop, and that's the only thing you have to pay for the whole trip. Pilgrim Tours, who we work with, says we like to say you can come to Israel without a dime in your pocket. So if you want to buy souvenirs or you want to buy lunches, and some of the lunches are included, uh, we're a special place, we'll, we'll have lunch. But um, we try to do everything we possibly can. I had a tour guide tell me, he said, I've been a tour guide for 28 years, you guys do more than anybody. We try to, because you're there probably one time, we want you to see as much as you possibly can. Again, it's not a moneymaker. I'll not make a dime if you come or if you don't come. But I encourage all Christians to come. It'll change your Bible reading. 
you know, preachers, it'll, my, my people tell me, man, you're always so fired up when you come back from Israel. I don't even notice. But it's just such a, it's just such a rejuvenating, exciting place to be. Um, so I would, I would encourage you, if, if you get a chance to go, uh, if, if you don't go with us, that's, you're not going to hurt my feelings. But don't go with some group where it's just a moneymaker. Yeah. Because literally, you can pay $4,000 to go to just Israel for seven or eight days, and sometimes not even stay in nice hotels, and they're making 1000 bucks a person or $1,500 a person off of you. So, so don't go with somebody like that. So do some research and uh, find, a, find a good group. We'll be leaving November 19th of 2024 if the Lord tarries is coming. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. We, we try to, I, I've tried to do enough research with other groups and find out what's going on. I talked to a pastor, and he gave me all his tapes of the messages he preached, and he's preaching like 40 minutes at every stop. And I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy, because I know people are going to see Israel not to hear a bunch of messages. So, but we try to do about a 10-minute devotional at each stop with here's why this matters. Uh, for instance, Caesarea, people say, oh, Caesarea. Well, there's more than one Caesarea. You'll be at Caesarea Maritima. You'll be at Caesarea Philippi. Here's what happened here. Here's what happened there. Here's why it's biblically significant. Here's how it ties in with the scripture so that when you're there, you're visualizing everything. When Paul was held in a house, in a room for two years, here, here's where it was. It's one of these two rooms is probably where we believe Paul was held before he would appear, before the, before the authorities, before he would appeal to Caesar, all of that. You're, you're hands-on. You're seeing all of that. Uh, you're seeing the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you're seeing all of the... Uh, the different cities, uh, we go up on the Golan Heights, look over in Syria, see the ruins over there from the war, all of that kind of stuff. So I'd highly recommend, uh, if, if you can go once in a lifetime, that your, your dream trip, uh, this would be it. And it will really enhance your Bible reading, I think. And again, if, if that, those dates don't work for you or it doesn't work at that time in your life, uh, go with somebody. But just, just do some research uh, so you're not just funding somebody's... Expiration. If you have questions, you know, feel free to catch me afterwards. All right, all right, that's it for the commercials. First uh, John chapter three, verse eighteen. First John chapter three and verse eighteen. My little children, great term of endearment there, writing to people he dearly loved. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is I Love the Lord conference. I don't, I don't even have a title for this message. I'm, I'm not sure it even constitutes as a message. I just want to share some thoughts with you. I suppose if I was going to title it, I'd make title it, Talk is Cheap. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask that you would meet with us now in a special way. We thank you for the good fellowship we've enjoyed, the food that people have prepared. Thank you for the music. Lord, we're a blessed people. We're blessed. I pray that you'd guide as we look at your word, that you would help us, that you would give us understanding. Speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love the Lord. I think most of us would say today we love the Lord. But sometimes it's easy to love the Lord's blessings. Because God's blessed us. Having food and raiment there with, let us be, let us be there with content. And you all have just ate food and you're wearing clothes and God says that should be enough. But over and above that, God blesses. 
And sometimes we can fall in love with the blessings and then be excited about that. God's blessed me. I, I don't know why, but for some reason, God has given me the 12 cutest grandkids in the entire world. It doesn't, it doesn't seem right but I, that I got them all. But, but God's blessed us. God's been good to us. He's shown His favor. But we can fall in love with the blessings and not the blessor. I remember one time listening to a pastor that he traveled a lot. He traveled too much, to tell you the truth. But he was saying when he was gone on trips, he would buy things for his kids. He'd buy gifts for his kids for when he came home. He said, but I had to stop. He said, because I found that my kids were anxious to just get the gifts. They weren't running to see Daddy come home and hug him. What'd you get us? What'd you get us? Get in the suitcase and try to find out what the gift was. He said, they were falling in love with the gifts. And they were anxious to get the gift not to see me again. I thought it was an interesting perspective because we can do that with God. And God's been good to us. And as was sung this morning, God, God's been good to us, every one of us. In the Bible, love is not given to us as an emotion. Now, in our society today, it's become an emotion, a feeling. And people will be in services and they run thousands of people and they dim the lights and they're up on the stage and they're swaying back and forth and singing about love and everybody feels oozy and warm and fuzzy and feels good about it. But the two things the Bible ties love into the strongest, the most often, are obedience and giving. And of course, if you're obedient, you're going to give. I realize those, those hinge off each other. But obedience and giving. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things will result in emotions. They will result in feelings. When, when we're obedient to God and when we're giving, there are many, many blessings inherent in that. And, and, and God will bless you and your emotions will be good as a result of that. But don't equate love with emotions, with this feeling. I just feel so good. And so many churches try to exploit that and, and just grab hands with everybody next to you. And everybody sings Kumbaya and everybody feels good. And then they walk out and they go right back to their sin. No, the Bible equates obedience with love. Jesus would say in John 14, 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. If ye love me, keep my commandments. He said John 15, 14, Ye are my friends, if... You do whatsoever I command you. And so he makes it very pointed in, in verse 21 of John 14. He says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. And, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 23, he goes on to say, If a man love me, he will keep my words. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And so, God ties in love with obedience. Obedience. And so when we talk about I love the Lord conference, and what a great theme, what a great thought. We ask ourselves, how obedient am I being? How surrendered am I? Am I obeying Him? Am I even listening for His voice? Am I seeking His face? Do I desire His will 
more than anything else in my life or am I trying to talk God into taking my will for His will? And then we're also to be givers as a result of that. And you go through the Old Testament, how many times God's dealing with the people that were, they were just going through the motions. Their heart wasn't engaged. And even when they come back from captivity, their big question is, uh, do we still have to fast? For 70 years we did that. And, and the Lord would say, when you mourned and fasted those 70 years, did you all fast unto me, even unto me? God says, really, that's your question? Were you ever doing it to me? Going through the religious rituals. In the book of Malachi, you have God rebuking the nation. Chapter 1. And he said, you've despised my name. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle a fire on my altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you. Neither will I accept an offering at your hands, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept an offering at thy hand? And so he's, he's challenging them and he's rebuking them. He's saying, these, these sacrifices, they're not really sacrifices. Offer it to the governor. The thought is abhorrent. If, if you're going to have your boss over for dinner, men, and on the night your boss is coming over for dinner, you come home and you say, dear, what are, what are we fixing? What are you having for my boss? Well, you know that meatloaf that we didn't like? It, it's kind of, it's been in the fridge and I, I don't want to throw it out and waste it. I just thought we'd warm that up. You say, oh, good idea. Way to save money. That is good. You'd be like, what? Are you, this is my boss. You're going to feed my boss the meatloaf that's been in there for a week because nobody even wanted to heat it up in the microwave. It wasn't even good the first time. That's unthinkable to us. Well, that's what he's saying. How easy it was for them. Oh, here's a little lamb. He's blind. He's going to get caught by a coyote or a wild dog or, or something eventually. Well, let's give it for a sacrifice. Let's give it for a sacrifice. And the lame, and this, this, this lamb will never be able to reproduce. This lamb will never be uh, of any good to me. Uh, let's bring that for a sacrifice. He says, why don't you give that to the governor? And so he tells them in, in chapter 1, you despise my name. And I'm sure they said, no, we, don't, we love God. Yeah. He, but by your actions, you despise him. In chapter 2, and now, ye priests, this commandment is for you. And, and he talks to the priest. And he says, if you'll not lay it to heart to give glory into my name, he says, I'm going to curse you. He says, I'll curse your blessings. Yea, I've cursed them already. Chapter 1, you're bringing these sacrifices that don't even, there's not a sacrifice. In chapter 2, you're, you're not even glorifying my name. It's not about me. In chapter 3, he says, you've robbed me. And wherein have we robbed thee? He says, tithes and offerings. He says, you're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Chapter 1, you've despised me. Chapter 2, you've not honored me. You've not given me the glory due to my name. Chapter 3, you're robbing me. In the average Baptist church on Sunday morning, you could pull out your cell phone. About 11.15, call the police. There's a robbery going on right now down at our church. What's happening? I'm not sure who's doing it, but I know every week there's a robbery happens right now. If you could send some officers, people are robbing God. That's what he says, you robbed me, this whole nation. He says, you've cursed with a curse. And then you come to chapter 4, and you end the book of Malachi. You end the Old Testament. The very last chapter, the very last verse, the very last word is curse. 
curse. What an end to the Old Testament. There's no bright spot. Curse. Why? People didn't have a heart for God. You remember Eli, high priest of God? Tragedy, tragic verse in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel says, There came a man of God unto Eli. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Eli was supposed to be the man of God. He's the high priest. He was man's representation to God. He was supposed to be the man of God. But God has to send a man of God to Eli, who's supposed to be the man of God. And what's he say? You've honored your sons above me. And then God says, you've despised me. Oh, wait a minute. That's kind of strong language here. I've been the high priest all these years, and I'm doing this. He says, no, you've despised me by not giving me the honor, by honoring your sons above me. He says, therefore, because of that, both of your sons are going to die in one day. I'm going to take them out of the picture. You've honored them and not me. So talk is cheap. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. It's not saying don't tell your spouse you love them or your children. He's not saying that. He says, but love in deed and in truth. Love in actuality. Love in obedience. Love in giving. Romans chapter 12, one of the most remarkable chapters in all the Word of God. Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul gives the greatest treatise on justification by faith alone in Christ alone anywhere in the whole world. 11 chapters of making sure we get it, that justification is by faith in Christ alone. Then you come to chapter 12, he's given all the practical application. Therefore, what's the therefore, the first 11 chapters? Now chapter 12, your life is to change, you've been born again. And so he starts giving them practical outworking of that, and and, uh, he gives them the the meat, the teaching, grow in this area. You come to verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints. Be a giver. You were a taker, now be a giver. He would write to the Ephesians, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. He says, you've been saved now. You used to be a taker. Now you need to be a giver. Take that job and earn some money so you can give to other people. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In 1 Timothy 6, as Paul writes to his preacher boy, we find that God never tells the rich to take a a vow of poverty, but he in essence tells them to take a vow of generosity. He says, charge them, challenge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. That's good advice. Because the tendency, if God's blessed you materially, you can start thinking you're actually better than other people that don't have as much money as you do. But you're not. So just charge them that they be not high-minded. Start thinking they're somebody because they got a house that's higher up on the hill than you do. And their car actually starts when they try to start it. And they can eat at nice restaurants. He said, charge them that they be not high-minded. Nor trust in uncertain riches. You say, oh, pastor, I've got a diversified portfolio. And I, one bad lawsuit can take all that away. People say money talks, and the guy says, yeah, mine keeps saying goodbye. (laughs) But that they would not trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, don't feel guilty if God's blessed you financially. God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. 
But he says this, the very next verse, that they do good. We're talking to people God's blessed financially, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, Amen. willing to communicate. And, and that word willing to communicate is talking about giving. It's not saying just talk to them. Willing to give. He says they are rich in good works. He says so they need to give. They need to give. James 2.15 says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Right. Now, we don't do that today because that would be rather obvious. If Danny Thomas came up to me and he said, You know, things are pretty rough right now. He says, I don't even know if I have enough gas money to get back home. And I say, Well, brother, be ye warmed and filled. <laughs> We would know, oh, brother, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> so we've gotten a lot more sophisticated. People come up to us, they have a need, and you know what we say? I'll be praying for you. <laughs> That's the modern equivalent of being warmed and filled. Yeah, right. Wait a minute. If you have the means, it's a legitimate need, and you have the means in your back pocket, why are you praying about it? That somebody else would be touched to meet the need and you have it in your back pocket? You are doing nothing more than be you warmed and filled. You can answer your own prayer request. I'll pray about it. Well then, okay, do something about it. That's what he's saying. He said, what does it profit? If I say to him, be warmed and filled, hey, God bless. I pray that you get the money to get home, brother, but I got to go now. What doth it profit? The answer is nothing, nothing. I love the Lord. If I love the Lord, I'm to love his people. Amen. He says, if you love me, you love my children. 1 John 5. And so I, I'm to be a blessing. I'm to help. In 1 John 3, 17, John makes it very pointed. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. The Bible used the word bowels like we would use the word heart. Shutteth up his heart, his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? That is pointed. That is as direct and as practical as you can get. Since you have the means, you know a brother or sister is struggling, might be on the mission field, it might be right down the block, might be in the next row, and you shut up your heart of compassion, he says, how dwelleth the love of God in you? That's strong preaching. But we need it. Because by nature, we're selfish. And so he's challenging us. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but indeed in the truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. In the next chapter, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us, for our sins. The payment. The next verse, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Amen. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Paul would write extensively about taking offerings and taking them to poor Christians. And I, and I, think, I think it was especially near and dear to the heart of Paul. Because Paul, before he got saved, persecuted the church. Hailing men and women, committed them to prison. He did it zealously by his own account. 
He did it extensively. He traveled around. He put people to death. And so Paul would be preaching in churches, and here'd be, and use Brother Serrano as an example here. Now, he's married. He's got a wife. He's got more kids. Can't fit them all in one vehicle, so he only has to bring some of them. <laughs> but here's Paul preaching, yeah. and he sees this man and his boys. Yeah. Afterwards, you say, um, I noticed a man on the front row that was just there with, with three boys. Is his wife a Christian? Oh, Paul, you, you, actually, you actually had his wife killed a few years back. Can you imagine that on Paul's heart? Yeah. I saw a, a woman there with some kids, and you, you, you put her husband in prison, and then he was executed. And Paul knew all that. And so now he is, he's, he, what can he do? And I can imagine him talking to the pastor of that church because he's traveled around and saying, well, can, can we go by and see that lady? I, I would like to tell her I'm sorry. And, and I, I, I sold some tents last month. I got a little bit of money. It's not much, but I, I want to give it to her. And so Paul knew that he would put people into poverty as a result of persecuting them for their faith. And so Paul is continually taking up offerings and he's taking them to these believers. It was near and dear to him. And he would say in 2 Corinthians 8, I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. But by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. He said, look, you're doing well right now. Would you give so that they can be helped? Because one day you're going to need it. And they'll help you. Ecclesiastes 7 says, in the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God has set the one over against the other. And so he, 1 Corinthians now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let it lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. I'll take that offering, that liberality, I'll bring it to Jerusalem. Paul had persecuted Christians all over Jerusalem. He would tell the Ephesian elders as he meets with them the last time in Acts chapter 20. And, and, and they were very dear to him. The church at Ephesus was very dear to the heart of Paul. And he says, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring, Work, earn money, labor, and yacht to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, the word blessed means happy. Jesus said you'll be happier as a giver than as a taker. Was he right? Did he, did he know what he was talking about? Because you live in a culture that says you're going to be happier as a taker, a hoarder. Clothes make the man. And grab all you can get. Look out for number one. And Jesus said, no, you're going to be happier as a giver. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. If God's blessed you, amen. Don't feel guilty. Just steward it. Steward it well. Psalm 62.10 says, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Be careful. Be careful. Because money can become consuming. Job 31, Job said, I have, If I have made gold my hope, or said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence, if I rejoice because my wealth was great and because mine hand had gotten much, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. We have to live in this world, work a job, earn money. Nothing wrong with any of that. But 1 Corinthians 7, 31 says, They that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Be careful. Be careful. God entrusts you with some. Luke 16 says, If you be faithful in little, He can entrust you with much. He can give you more. Don't fall in love with it. Ecclesiastes 5, 10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. 
No, he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. When goods increase, they're increased that eat them. What good is that of the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Amen. Be careful. First Timothy 6, 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We do well to remember that, because we're going to leave everything here. Right. Everything. Or we're going to send it on ahead. Those are the choices. Yeah. You brought nothing into this world. You came into this world naked with nothing. It would have been nice if you brought a check to reimburse your parents for the expense of the hospital, but you came in just a freeloader. You're going to leave the same way. You're going to leave the same way with nothing. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. He says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. So if you make money your object, oh, I want to get rich, I want to get rich, I want to get rich, I got to have money, got to have money, you will ruin your life. Right. I've been around people like that. Right. I know people like that. But if you just start a business, say, I'm going to be diligent, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to work hard, and God blesses, great. God's entrusting you with some resources. Is it so you can get full, fat, dumb, and happy? No. No, he's giving you to pass on. If, if my wife and I came over for dinner at your house and you, you, uh, everybody's sitting around the table, there's about 15 of us there, you got some other people over, and, and your wife, she's prepared a platter, and there's, there's corn on the cob on this platter, and there's baked potatoes on this platter, and, there's, and as the platters are passed around the table, when it comes to me, I just tip it up and I just slide all the rest of them off of my plate. And I give it to the next person, and they're like, Oh, okay. And, and then, so you send it around the other way, and here comes some muffins. It comes to me, and there's a few muffins left, a few people down the table. I just slide all the rest onto my plate and give the empty platter. You know, think, hey, he doesn't get it. Yeah. He doesn't get it. He, he's supposed to take what he needs, right. and he can use it, and then pass it on and share. Right. Look, if God has blessed you materially, yeah. it's not so you can just tip the platter up and just load your plate down. Amen. He's given, he's blessed you to share with some people down the line and be a blessing. And, and if you'll do that, you'll find that you get blessed. Amen. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, the Bible says. Well, I thought he's doing good to the guy he's having mercy on. No, but you're doing good to your own soul as well. God blesses you in that if you'll, if you'll do that. And so Paul would challenge the church at Corinth, the church that had so many problems, trying to challenge them, stretch them in this area of giving. Moreover, brethren, we do you to widow the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. There's words in that verse that don't go together. Deep poverty? Affliction? Great joy? Abundance of joy? Why? Because there's joy in giving. There's joy in giving. A great trial of affliction, yet there was an abundance of joy. Their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. You know what that tells me? Everybody can give something. Everybody can give something. Here's his poverty people. He says, for to their power, I bear record, yeah, beyond their power. They, they gave more than it seemed like humanly possible. And so they would have abundance of joy as a result of that. He would go on to challenge the Corinthian church. He says, therefore, as you abound in everything. These other areas are growing. This is 2 Corinthians now. He's, he's worked them through some problems. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. He calls it a grace, the grace of giving. And the next verse, he says this. Prove the sincerity of your love. Talk is cheap. 
He's look, you're growing, you're growing, and you're abounding in these other areas. He says, I want you to abound in giving. I want you to abound in giving. And I want you to prove, demonstrate the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He's our example. He would go on in that same chapter, verse 24, to say, Wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. He says, I've been telling other people that you're growing in your Christian life. I've been boasting about you to other churches. He says, don't leave me hanging. Back up what I'm saying. Prove the sincerity of your love. Abound in this. Show them that you love. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first roots of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What a great addiction. We have a Reformers Unanimous program at our church. And people show up that are addicted to gambling, pornography, alcohol, drugs, whatever. No one ever has showed up and said, you know what? I'm addicted to the ministry of the saints. That's a rare addiction. And at 12-step programs, nobody ever shows up for that. And those are, those are humanistic, by the way. They're not biblical. But nobody stands up and says, my name is Tom, and I'm addicted to the ministry of the saints. Or... I'm hooked on phonics. I, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but they were addicted to the ministry of the saints. They said, well, you know, we, we, we just got to help people. We got to do it. I, I talked to somebody that had tattoos, and they were telling me how addicting getting tattoos are, which I, I, I can't fathom that. But they, they were saying, oh, once you get one, you got to get another, you got to get another, you got to get another. There's people addicted to everything. He's saying, these people are addicted. They, they have to help people. They just have to go around and be a blessing to people. Man, what a great addiction. What a, great, what a great testimony. He says, submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth us and laboreth. I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they've supplied. They've refreshed my spirit with their generosity. And yours, therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. He would say, as you have therefore opportunity, we tell the Galatians, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Proverbs and I've gone too long here, but Proverbs 19, 17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. That's a phenomenal verse. Amen. Every one of us has somebody that you know, you know, that brother-in-law, that uncle, and they come around, they're borrowing money, and think, I'm never going to see this again. I just need 50 bucks, 50 bucks. I'll get paid a week from Friday. I'll pay you back honors. I'll pay you back. And you're thinking, I've heard this story before. I, I, my my, my, my brother-in-law is not trustworthy or, or this this relative over here but he says he that giveth unto the poor he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the lord you know god pays his debts he says that which he hath given will he pay him again you don't have to say oh man i wonder if god's going to come through i wonder if i'm just going to get an excuse no he says if you have pity upon the poor you're lending unto the lord that which he hath given he'll pay him again he that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed for he giveth of his bread to the poor God wants us to be givers. Amen. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor. The wicked regardeth not to know it. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. And on and on and on. And, and I, I think we have to guide our affairs with discretion. The Bible says that. Don't just give to everybody. Don't give to the guy at the grocery store that's just there and and uh, he wants money. You just bought him wine. 
You have the will work for food, son? Well, go get a job, buddy. You'll work for food, go work. Yeah. Yeah, so I, we have to use discernment. We have to use discretion. We had a neighbor. He's a meth addict. His name was Josh. He's moved away, but he was, uh, he's a crazy guy. He came over one day, and he says, uh, I, I need money for food. And so I pulled out my wallet, and there, there was literally nothing in it. It's a Baptist pastor's wallet. Nothing in it. And so I said, I said Josh, I said, I don't, I don't have any money, right? I said, oh, no, you know what? I got some quarters. I got a little jar of quarters. So I went back in the bedroom, and we had a little jar of quarters, and there were $7.75 in quarters in that jar. I counted it out to him. I gave it to him. I says, here, Josh, that's all I got. Literally, that's all I got. He said, oh, okay. Well, so his house is here. My house is here. There's two more houses. You go around the corner, and there's Stater Brothers right around the corner. <coughs> so I gave him the money. Didn't think anything of it. My wife says uh, about 30 minutes later, 20 minutes later, she says, hey, 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 come here, come here. Come see what Josh bought. See what you bought, got with your money. And so I, I'm looking out our front window, and here's Josh with a 24-pack of beer walking past the house. It's the only time I bought beer in my life, okay? And I didn't mean to. So we can't just always give. We're to guide our affairs with discretion, have some discernment. So don't just give, every, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be a giver. I'm just going to give, I'm going to give, I'm going to give. No, you might end up buying wine and cigarettes and things like that. So, but if you know a legitimate need, be a giver. Be a giver. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul would write to the Thessalonians, listen, if, if somebody needs to, they need to work and eat their own bread. They're busybodies. Don't give to that person. Don't give to that person. Galatians 6.2 says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5 says, every man should bear his own burden. Well, is that a contradiction? No. Two different Greek words. Bear his burdens, his cares. We come alongside each other, put our shoulder under the load, and help somebody out. Verse 5 deals with responsibilities. A man has to be responsible. If he doesn't want to work, oh, I don't do fast food. Oh, I don't like warehouse jobs. I, there's guys that got excuses all the time. Yeah. They, they've lost three jobs in, in a year and a half, and every boss was a jerk, and they just did blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Go get a job. Go get a job. Amen. You get hungry enough, you'll start working. That, that's what God's program was. The slugger will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall they beg and harvest and have nothing. That's God's program. God made provision for the poor in the Old Testament. He said if, when you glean your fields, you leave a little bit at the corners. Don't take everything so that, so that other people can come through. The poor can come and gather it up. They had to do a little work, but they were going to get fed. They were going to get the food. We can look at so many other verses. We're out of time. But I think you get the idea. Obedience. Obedience and giving. I love the Lord. Amen. We can sing it. We can preach it. We can talk about it. But talk is cheap. Don't just love in word and in tongue. Love in deed and love in truth. Thank you for listening to this preaching podcast from Cornerstone Baptist Church. We hope that you were encouraged. For more information about our ministry, you can find us online at cornerstonefallbrook.org.